took a week off, then some crazy things happened. So we had to jump back in early this week. Scoop Duck at Hi-Fi. My name is Matt Bagley, joined as always by Justin Hopkins of On3 and Scoop Duck. Let's start with the running back room, because if I were just gathering the headlines, I would say those are the two biggest headlines surrounding the Ducks. Travis Dye goes to USC. CJ Verdell goes pro. How do you feel about those moves, and how do they impact the Ducks? Well, um, you know, let's let's be real about this. Um, you know, those are two highly productive players, right? I mean, they both were key parts of this Oregon offense for uh, what three, four, it may three or four years. The last three or four years, they've been a terrific duo. Uh, you know, if one was injured, one would fill in. Uh, if they were both healthy, you'd see kind of the thunder lightning approach uh, with the two of them. Um, you know, I I, I, I I know that Die left a lot to be desired from the physical standpoint. He wasn't the biggest guy, wasn't the strongest guy, but he was highly efficient, highly effective, and one of the hardest players. I, I, I feel this way. I, I personally have no ill will towards uh, Travis Die, but the, the – the difference between the the way the two are departing the program couldn't be a bigger difference. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for 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 CJ Fredell, you know, going to the NFL, that's a guy that I I don't I, I think it's just being greedy to ask him to come back for another year. I don't know that there's that much that he could raise his NFL draft stock by coming back, other than possibly proving he could stay healthy for a season, which he's had trouble doing. You know, so far at Oregon, that might be the only way that helps him, but that's a huge gamble. Uh, so going to the NFL, I don't, I don't think there's a Duck fan that faults him or is upset about that decision. Obviously, with Die going to USC, that's a, a much more uh, different manner. That's a much different way to exit the program. Um, you know, I think if if Travis Die had gone to Oklahoma or Alabama or Georgia or somewhere that's you know on the cusp of being a national contender, not in the Pac-12. Um, you know, it might have been viewed a little more favorably, but for him to go to two USC, a known rival, uh, you know, to Oregon, um, you know, it, I, I think it does nothing but tarnish what should have been probably a really good legacy at Oregon. You know, great player, great family, loved what, you know, Travis Dye had done and, and Troy Dye had done with the program. But, but him making that decision alone certainly tarnishes his legacy at Oregon. Yeah, I think it's a complicated thing, and you hit on this, of if he had gone somewhere else, fans would be a little less upset. I think about the fact that Travis Dye is from Southern California, uh, he went to uh, NorCal, Nor- Norco High School, which is about 50 or 60 miles from the USC campus, um, and I, I think about the fact that he reportedly was looking into um, his NFL draft grades, right? Because if you're draft eligible, you can request a uh, draft grade from 345 Park Avenue in New York City, the NFL headquarters, and then they'll shoot back anonymous grades from NFL teams and tell you uh, basically an evaluation of where they think you're going to get drafted. I think that he went through those hoops and the NFL came back and and gave him a grade he probably didn't like and he came to the decision, I should go somewhere else to, uh, you know, boost my exposure and and be in big games. And I think the only part that I have trouble with is that he picked USC in that over some of those bigger schools you mentioned. Yeah, and, and who knows, you know, Alabama probably wasn't calling, neither was Georgia. Um, you know, I, to me, it, it uh, again, I, I like just stripping away the fact that it's USC. Like if this was USC, you know, 15 years ago with Pete Carroll there running the show and winning games and Rose Bowls and this and that, right. you could justify it. Yep. But it, I, I mean, they're, they're, they have not been a good football team. Uh, you know, he committed a couple days after they took another running back out of the transfer portal. They took Austin Jones from Stanford, uh, you know, as well, just like a day or two before his announcement. It just leaves a really bad residue in a lot of Duck fans' mouth. And I am not going to sit here and tell you that that's not fair. I think that it's probably pretty fair 
you know, to feel that way. And I, I think more so because, you know, you, you rewind this thing back to, you know, we'll say about six years ago. I can't remember when uh, Troy Dye was coming out of high school, but you have Oregon basically giving his older brother a shot, giving him a home, you know, does, you know, he has a great career at Oregon, uh, you know, obviously makes his younger brother a priority, really does a lot of great things for the Dye family. And here you just kind of have him saying, nah, what feels like now, nah, I'm going to go to USC and, and, and more than likely, you know, uh, this hasn't been confirmed. It's been reported and it's been my suspicion that this has more to do with NIL money than it has to do with, you know, wanting to be close to home or wanting to be on a contender or whatever, you know, whatever you want to make the justification. Uh, and, and I don't fault the kid for, you know, hey, look, if there's a hundred thousand dollars, I don't know. This is just I'm just throwing right. out a number. If there's a hundred thousand dollars on the table, you know, being offered, you know, maybe and you realize that, you know, your NFL you know, evaluation came back and you're not really looking all that hot uh, in the NFL. Maybe this is your best chance at, at, at getting some money to springboard you into your adult lifehood. You know, I, I don't know. That certainly looks like that's what this is. And and we're you know, we can't confirm that. And I don't know. It, it's a bummer. I can't I can't ever fault the kid for taking money. I can't blame him for being offered a good NIL contract if that's the case and taking it. It still doesn't change that it doesn't change the fact that duck fans shouldn't feel a little bit of sting. The two, you know, the two theories can be true. You could be upset that he went and did this and he could really, you know, have gone to USC for the NIL money. And it's probably honestly not the worst thing for him in his personal life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you hit the nail on the head of of, you know, he's a running back. He plays a position that even if he makes it to the next level, he's not going to have a great contract in that, that first deal out of the draft. And he's going to have to earn any money he gets at that level. There's a chance he gets hurt and he never makes a second contract, never makes a big payday. So if you can get money now, chase it, right? If you can get money now, take the money now. Um, I, I think as a human being... That's admirable. I, again, I think as a human being, him going back home, that's admirable. That's respectable. As a fan, this stings just because it's USC. Yeah, yeah, because it's USC. You know, it's been your rival. It's it's well documented. You know, you, you Oregon gave you a shot, brought you in, uh, really did a good job of developing you under Jim Mastro. We have to give him the credit because he was here for it. Um, and really made, you know, kind of made your your career what it is now. Uh, and, and I don't think anybody truly faults you for cashing in on it. But, uh, you know, I guess it would just I, I have a tough time believing Oregon probably didn't at least make him some sort of an offer to stay. It would just be interesting to know what the difference in the numbers were, if any at all. Um, and just, you know, kind of a way to maybe justify how folks are feeling. But um you know, I, I guess it is what it is. The great thing is that opens the door for, you know, some of the young guys that are on there that I know the fans are super excited about, uh, you know, gives them a chance for more carries to come in and have a bigger impact on this team this coming season. Um, so, you know, I guess uh, when when one door closes, another one opens somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. A humongous hole on the offensive line will open up for Byron Cardwell to run through. My initial reaction to those departures is Cardwell is going to be the guy next fall. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, you know, he showed some some pretty good glimpses this year. Uh, I don't, I, I personally don't believe that he was ready to be the feature back all the way just yet. I think the role that he had where he was, you know, sharing carries with, with, with Die for the most part and getting some reps, I think that allowed him to stay fresh. I think it was a good change of pace. Uh, you know, for the offense and, and made it difficult for the defense. I think all those things were helpful, uh, you know, to him. So he, he's going to need to step up to be the feature back this time around. And, you know, that's going to be a different animal for him. So we'll just see how he fares in that role. Yeah. Okay. So we know the Ducks lose those two running backs. How do you feel about the other departures that, that we've seen over the past couple weeks? Um, you know, I mean, they're just, uh, you know, Logan Sagapulu, uh, is the one off the top of my head that, that comes to mind. Um, you know, not, uh, you know, what, what, what do you do about a backup player? Right. And it's, it's, right. you know, you, you want to keep those guys around. You don't want to worry, you know, you want to, 
have time to develop them um, and, and, you know, some of that other stuff that goes with it. But this, I mean, this was going to happen, right? I mean, this is what, um, you know, this is what we expected to happen um, at Oregon. You expected a new coach to come in. You expected there to be some attrition. And I've got to be honest, I actually, um, I expected more attrition than there has been. Um, you know, I, you can't count, you know, so Kingsley, Sumataya, Micah Pittman, those were before the coaching change occurred. Those don't, you know, those don't count to me per se. Uh, when you talk about DJ James and Jason Jones, you know what? Those two hurt. Those are guys that were, you know, key parts of the defense. Yeah. Uh, DJ James was a starter. Jason Jones was showing a lot of promise. Uh, you know, I know fans are really excited. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, those two guys really wanted to go closer to home. They wanted to get back closer to home. They ended up at a school in their respective home state. I don't think anybody faults them for that. And and to be perfectly honest, you know, those two, I would have a tough time believing would have stayed had Mario even remained at Oregon. So, you know, again, I don't really put those two on this new coaching staff. Um, as for Robbie Ashford, quarterback, I think, I mean, we've all been talking about a quarterback leaving Oregon for a year and a half now. You know, there's just so many young guys that are, are talented and are probably really looking for a place to play, uh, you know, somewhere else. Uh, that, that, you know, j- again, just doesn't really surprise me. Um, you know, Trey Benson, obviously transferring to Florida State a lot closer to home. Again, another backup reserve guy uh, at the moment. So, so far, I think Coach Landing's done a terrific job keeping this thing together because, uh, you know, I'm not going to go on record here of saying who, but there were a lot of other players' names floated my direction in the past month that, you know, were at least considering, you know, potentially transferring. And I know it took a lot of work by Coach Landing and his staff to keep a lot of those guys at Oregon and I think they did a tremendous job of keeping the key components of guys that you want at Oregon at Oregon. You know, I'll say this. I think Adrian Clem did an amazing job of keeping that offensive line group together and getting those guys back for one more year. Uh, in particular, TJ Bass, that guy, I think, would have actually probably worked his way into mid mid-round consideration i think i think him coming back he has the potential to go even higher next year mm-hmm. but i think that was probably tough and i think that was a really good uh good job by coach clem uh keeping him and uh you know sala amave at oregon for another year yeah and this kind of hits on something we were talking about off air you know recording this but the the coaching staff all come from different schools all across the country and the players, obviously, they come from Eugene, Oregon, right? They've been at Oregon for X amount of years. They're used to a coaching staff that's no longer there. So on, on one side, you have a staff that doesn't really have a chemistry, doesn't really have a history with the players. And you have players that are thinking, the coach I came here for is gone. And there's this new guy. And, and so there's going to be tension. There are going to be players that say, I want to go elsewhere or I want to go home or I want to go closer to home. And, and I agree with you. I think the job that's been done by this new staff to win guys back with the Oregon program and, and build a rapport out of thin air over the last three or four weeks, that's really impressive. Yeah, you, you use a really good term there, thin air. Um, and I think that's applicable because, you know, realistically, for the most part, uh, you know, you look at Adrian Clem, he's been in the NFL. You look at Tosh Lupoy, he's been in the NFL. You look at Drew Merringer, uh, he's been at New Mexico. You look at yeah. Matt Pallage, yeah. he's been at Baylor. Dan Lanning was at Georgia. My point to all that is, and that's just some of them, a lot of these guys had virtually zero interaction with these guys, even as recruits, mm-hmm. you know, because they weren't on their radar. They weren't really recruiting them very hard. So, yeah, like you said, they're virtually bringing them in cold turkey and saying, hey, you know, we're here now. Let's let's be buddies. Um, you got to earn that trust. You've got to earn, you know, the the confidence that these are going to be good coaches and are going to have your best interest at heart. And, uh, you know, again, with the with the advancements of uh, the transfer portal, it makes it harder and harder to keep these guys, uh, you know, at the school, even if there is no coaching change. So I I think it really speaks volumes to how 
genuine coach Lanning and some of his staff are and the vision that they have for this program. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I, I try to do this when we talk a lot, you know, I, I think back of my experience in college, even though I wasn't a student athlete, but I think about how some of my neighbors in the dorms at OIT, you know, they were from the Bay area or they were from Las Vegas or they were from the East coast and they would get homesick and some of them transferred out and left. They went back home. Or I, I think about how some students would sign on to go to OIT because they wanted to study a specific major with a specific professor. And if that professor leaves, you know, you reevaluate what you want to do and, and who you want to learn from, right? And college football is not that different. These players signed up to play for one staff. They signed up to uh, to have a, a certain development path that is changed now because it's a different staff with a different vision. And so a lot of guys kind of had that moment, right? Is this the right place for me? Should I look elsewhere? And the fact that they were able to keep most of that team from saying, yeah, there is a better place for me elsewhere, or yeah, I really should go elsewhere to further my career. The fact that most of this team said, I trust Dan Lanning and I trust Adrian Clem and this staff to, you know, have my best interest and my best development at heart. That's a huge win for Oregon this offseason. Well, and I'll say this. This is something um, it's applicable to what we're talking about, but it's a little off tangent slightly is the fact that I think all we've done now and I and I, and I would say that Oregon is a really uh is, is really one to showcase here. All we've done now with the addition of the transfer portal and making players immediately eligible is really shine the light on how often kids thought about transferring out 10 years ago. We've basically given them the opportunity to do it now. 10 years ago, I think there was way more kids that thought about transferring out of Oregon and other programs that never did because the transfer rules were so difficult. You know, you had to sit for a year, you know, whatever the case might be. So, you know, really, if you left at the wrong time, it was almost like two years, right? And, you know, basically with the creation of the transfer portal and, and the rules being changed now, I think all this does is shine the light on how often this happens and how often you know, I guess maybe that these kids would have transferred before if they had the means to. Am I a fan of it? Is it good for football? I don't really know. I don't feel like we know the long-term implications of this because on one hand, it's great for these kids to have the ability to go where they want to be within reason. I mean, I think if a kid's transferring three or four times, it's pretty clear that it's, you know, the problem isn't the institution. It might be the, the player itself, but, um, you know, we don't really have the data yet to know how good this is. For, I know it's made life miserable for, for coaches, uh, you know, for director of player personnel that are trying to manage, you know, numbers and scholarship numbers. And, and, and you know, it's definitely created a bit of a, a free agency vibe in college football. But again, going back to the, to the crux of what I was trying to say, this really, I think, has, has shined a light on how often kids have thought about transferring out um, and I think the biggest difference, you know, in a lot of those cases is, you, is you'd have a, you know, maybe a parent or a coach or or somebody that a little older and wiser that might, you know, hey, talk you into staying or, or kind of walk you through it. Say, hey, you're just going through a rough patch. It's close to the holidays. I know it's tough. Stick it out. Uh, and, and I think you have less and less of that now. It's like, hey, yeah, just put your name in the portal. It'll be fine. And I think it's fine for the, uh, you know, upper 2% of players that, are jumping into the portal that, you know, are immediately getting another home. But uh, I think that a lot of these kids are getting bad advice because there's, you know, a thousand, 1200 plus names that are still in the portal with nowhere to go. And uh, it, it's certainly something that's going to take some leveling off. I, I do feel that way. Okay. So we've talked about transfers and NIL and, and just the, the mishmash of old coaches leaving, new coaches coming in and how players have reacted to it. Uh, how are things on the recruiting front? Yeah. Uh, you know, a really, uh, you know, good question there. We're, we're getting close to signing day. Um, you know, I, I do believe, you know, something that I've, I've maintained, uh, you know, Oregon only has a handful of spots. Uh, you know, there really weren't that many players that left, uh, you know, via the transfer portal. 
I think if Mario Cristobal had stayed and signed the number of guys he was looking to sign, you would have saw, uh, you know, more attrition than you're seeing now through the coaching change. Um, you know, I think to back things up, maybe that even just started off, you know, I think the Ducks, uh, you know, this current staff, the new staff did really well um, last week, getting a commitment from in-state wide receiver slash athlete. Uh, Justice Lowe out of Lincoln. I think that's a really good p- looking player. Uh, you know, about six foot one, hundred and eighty-two pounds. More than likely, comes in as a wide receiver to play wide receiver for Oregon. Um, you know, with on three who updated uh, its two thousand twenty-two rankings this week. Uh, he got a major bump up to one number one thirty-three overall in their rankings. Um, so you see, he, he's you know now a top one hundred and fifty level player. I think that was great for Oregon to go and snatch him, uh, you know, get another in-state guy. I always feel as though if you are Oregon and there's an in-state player that is is pretty close to being that level of a take, you know, I've always felt that a lot of those in-state guys tend to outperform uh, simply because it means a little bit more for them playing for Oregon, having grown up in Oregon, having watched Oregon, uh, you know, their parents are going to be at, you know, maybe every home game or or most home games, their their family, their friends, their cousins, you know, are going to get to come watch and play. I think it means a little bit more for them. So a guy like Justice Lowe that we'll just say might be a fringe type player. I think it's smart, smart to save him. Uh, it looks good um, from an optic standpoint. Um, and, and I just think they end up being, you know, uh, players that kind of outpunch their weight, you know, and for that matter, Justin Herbert comes to mind, in-state kid. Brady Breeze is another one that comes to mind. I think even though it's been up and down, I think another guy that comes to mind is Alex Forsyth that's currently on the roster. You know, in-state kids, it just tends to mean a little bit more, and I think there's value there. Um, additionally, they picked up a commitment just the day before that um, from Kavika Rogers out of Hawaii, a big old massive 6'5", 6'6", 275 pound offensive lineman, you know, just kind of a, uh, of a, of a raw, big, you know, uh, not even a blob of Play-Doh because the kid actually carries very little extra weight on his body. Just a really good looking specimen that I think Adrian Clem's pretty excited to get on campus and start working with. Uh, and again, you didn't need a, a, a ton of help on the offensive line. So that's kind of a nice pickup late there. Um, you know, so I think Oregon's done well there. They haven't lived in the transfer portal. You know, you did Bo Nix, you did Sam Taimani, defensive line. You did Christian Gonzalez, uh, you know, a defensive back. You know, they might end up taking one or two more guys out of the transfer portal. But I do like that they haven't just made a living off the transfer portal because I believe if you do that, it sets you up for difficulty with your scholarship numbers in the future in the next two to four years. Um, you know, so I think maybe in this year you get a couple stop gaps, but I would imagine that coach Lanning, you know, does a, uh, you know, a little bit less and a little bit less in the transfer portal moving forward. So from recruiting there, you know, all of that's going well, the commitments have been great. Um, there was a great uh, a visitor list of guys that visited this past weekend, uh, safety slash cornerback Kamari Terrell, one of the fastest players in the country out of Texas visited. I think the ducks are in the driver's seat there. I think things are looking good. Uh, Georgia running back commit Jordan James. Here we are talking about uh, running backs earlier. They had Jordan James, who's committed to Georgia, but didn't sign with them. You know, he visited. Again, I'm sure it went really well for him. I think the one that that we really got to be watching, though, is Colorado running back transfer, Jarek Broussard. You know, he took an official visit to Oregon. There's obviously the connection with Coach Demetrius Martin, who came over from Colorado um, you know, he, you know, he's, a, he's a smaller guy, five, you know, five, nine, five, 10, around 175 pounds. So very similar to, you know, die who elected to go to USC. So I think, you know, you've, you've somewhat found a plug and place kind of guy there. And then Jalen David Robinson was the other official visitor for Oregon this past weekend, a defensive back also out of Texas. I think coach Pallage has done a really good job there. You know, what I like about JDR is the fact that he could play all three positions in the back end, meaning safety, nickel, and corner. Uh, and again, another speedster that can fly. So, um, you know, that's the list there that visited this past weekend. Uh, you and I are obviously recording this on a Tuesday. 
you know, as it looks, it looks like Oregon will have at least six official visitors coming this weekend. And just to kind of rabble through them, it's, you know, Jaleel Florence, who's been in Oregon before, was a one-time commit. That's USC and Oregon. Getting him on campus is huge. Trajan Williams is committed to Oregon. Looks as though he'll sign with almost no problems there. In-state kid, Amarian Winston, the linebacker edge player that was one-time committed to Oregon, also visited Florida. He's expected to visit this weekend officially. Uh, we'll see if the Ducks push to get him back in the fold. Uh, Andrew Paul is a running back out of Texas who's become one of the hottest names in the 2022 recruiting cycle. Clemson, Georgia, LSU, a lot of the heavyweights have come in and offered late. So, again, we keep on that. They were, they were obviously prepping for some of this running back work as they've been, you know, hosting guys. Um, we'll call it wide receiver slash tight end. Arliss Boardingham also recently visited uh, Florida, is expected to visit Oregon this weekend. Uh, you know, we'll see if the Ducks make a push there. And then lastly is recent commit Justice Lowe, uh, you know, out of Lincoln, uh, Port- Portland, Oregon, Lincoln High School. Uh, Lake, he will visit uh, Oregon as well. Uh, Lake Oswego, but but Oh, otherwise... Lake Oswego, yeah. Yeah. My mistake. Yeah, Lake Oswego. My mistake. Well, it's understandable. I mean, the, the Ducks do have a Lincoln tie because I'm pretty sure that's where uh, Don Johnson coached before he was in yeah. Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah. But anyways, in-state kids. So, yeah, that's what the list is looking like so far. Um, that's the official visit stuff. Um, I'm not going to go over the unofficial visit stuff because I know, you know, Oregon had uh, you know about three dozen kids on campus that were unofficial visitors from the, you know, 2023, 24, and 25 classes, uh, you know, some big names. And they'll do that once again this weekend, uh, you know, hosting, uh, you know, I would wager somewhere in the two dozen territory, uh, you know, uh, unofficial visitors and again those would be guys from all over the country in the in the 2023 24 and 25 classes so uh lots lots happening lots moving recruiting's you know hot and heavy which uh which is fun that's you know that's where i make my you know butter butter my bread so i'm, I'm happy to have that news flowing right now yeah you butter your bread there and apparently so does this coaching staff because they're grinding right now uh, you mention justice Lowe, the 6-1 wide out and he also plays corner as well for lake oswego i i want to talk about him for a minute because i think it's a similar story to something we see not every year with oregon because they have the luxury, they don't have to recruit in state. They don't have to, you know, recruit three-star guys either. But you see, either fans will complain about, well, the in-state kid got pri- priority treatment or preferential treatment because he's in-state, or the three-star kid is is not really, you know, capable of playing at the next level, and you know, so and so can't scout, yada yada yada. You'll hear that from time to time. I think with Justice Low. It's not true, right? Like, he's he's a three-star on 24-7 sports, but he's got offers from multiple Pac-12 schools. He's got an offer from Notre Dame. Obviously, he's got the offer from the Ducks. And if you watch his game, he's not just a, a touchdown guy, right? Like, it, at the high school level, there are tons of receivers that you can throw him a screen pass and they can take it 70 yards because they're just too big, too fast, too good for that level. I've seen him up close and personal, watched him against Sheldon in September, uh, watched him against South Medford uh, a few weeks later, and this is a young man that even when he doesn't get the football, he can block. And what I love is on the defensive side of the ball, you know, obviously they're not throwing him the football. He's a corner, but I've seen him go up and and show ball skills. I've seen him go up, track down the football, make a deflection or make a pick. And I think that's a skill that translates really well at the next level. Well, it's useful, right? I mean, you know, one of the greatest things about like Johnny Johnson, for instance, that played at Oregon was all the other things that he did, not just catch footballs or catch touchdowns it was the blocking it was you know being a very selfless player uh you know Oregon has definitely had its share of good luck you know with players like that that have played that way and and you know you you mentioned a guy like Justice Lowe he's going to come in and let's just say he's not even a starter right he he doesn't come in 
if he comes in and, and, and goes to practice and he's the guy that's out there, you know, making that extra block and, and doing these other things and he hears from, you know, Coach Junior Adams, hey, good job, Justice, you know, whatever. Those other guys that might be starting are going to be like, hey, I better I better pick up, you know, my blocking. I better I better start doing some of this intangible stuff or, you know, this guy's going to start taking, uh, you know, snaps away from me. So, again, it elevates your room. It completes your room. Um, you know, one of the things that I hate is when, uh, and, and this could be really any room, but when your running back room or your wide receiver room or your quarterback room, for example, all have the same guy. Like you've got three or four of the same guy. You've all, you know, all your running backs are are five foot ten, two hundred pounds, or all your receivers are, you know, six foot four, two hundred twenty five pounds. Don't get me wrong; you want some of those guys in your room, but you don't want all of the same, you know, types of guy in your room. And I think Justice Lowe is is like you said, kind of just that different. Uh, weapon in there then and and no disrespect to you know Dante Thornton uh you know or Troy Franklin those guys are terrific players but you know Justice Lowe brings a little something different to the table and I think that's great for the room yeah yeah and and I say this obviously I'm way too in the weeds here you know you're talking with somebody that high school football in Oregon is my day job it's it's what I focus on it's it's what I know really well uh, Steve Curry, the longtime head coach at Lake Oswego, I have long been of the belief he is the best, best football coach in Oregon. So, and this is not to knock other recruits from other states, but there's a, a huge difference between you play for your, your hometown team in some suburb in SoCal and the coach is just another guy versus you got four years with Steve Curry. Um, I, I've always seen his Lake Oswego teams play smart, play very well coached, well prepared, and I, I think that gives him a huge advantage at the collegiate level. Um, you know, having, having that step up in competition and that step up in expectation from his coaches. Yeah, like you said, it's nice to you know, when you're a college coach and you and you bring in a, a player from the high school level and if they're used to a rigorous, you know, training program or a rigorous practice or, or maybe even, you know, kind of a, a coach that might be a little uh, hard nosed, if you will. Right. Um, it, it certainly makes their jobs easier. They're appreciative of it versus somebody that comes in with bad practice habits and, and bad training habits. And, and like like you said, it, it definitely uh, you know, again, Junior Adams is, should be very pleased with Justice Lowe once he gets on campus and 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 be able to get the most out of him for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it also kind of reminds me with with the three star um, that he has with 24 seven. I remember when Brandon Buckner went through this. Do you remember that? Do you remember like all mm-hmm. the all the flack on your site of people fighting over whether or not Brandon Buckner was going to be a good player? Oh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's every year. It's every year. Right, yeah. right. And then, like, you go back to September 11th, 2021. Ducks go to Columbus. I don't think they win that game without some of the plays Brandon Buckner made in the fourth quarter. And that's a three-star guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's terrific three-stars, you know, all over the place. And again, you know, I think one of the things that probably made, you know, Buckner a nice uh, pick up for Oregon is the fact that, you know, his dad is a defensive line coach, coaches in the NFL, uh, whether he was getting the proper training at practice every day, he was certainly getting it at home. You know, his dad was working with them, you know, probably preached, you know, the value of hard work and, and, uh, you know, again, so there's a guy that Joe Salavea had show up on campus, at least, you know, for now, for so far. And, you know, wasn't a guy that like he had to bring him up to speed and, 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 give him the tough love that was probably a guy that started pushing some of the vets a little bit and uh you know again there's a lot of value for having those guys on your roster for sure yeah uh we're talking about transfers talking about recruiting today as well i don't think i mentioned uh the the other big fish when we talk about in-state guys here's one that was in state and then he went to la for a couple years playing for chip now he's in the portal how do you feel about the ducks in the chase coda sweepstakes yeah, certainly interesting, right? I mean, um, you know, I, here's how I feel about Oregon and uh, taking a receiver 
uh, from the transfer portal. It's a delicate situation. You've got a couple of young guys there that you don't want to lose, uh, you know, in Thornton and Franklin. Uh, you know, you've got Chris Hudson. You've got some guys that have been pretty good for you. Uh, and again, they're all they're all fairly young. That room's fairly young for the most part. I, I think it's a delicate situation where if you are going to take a receiver out of the transfer portal, it has to be the right guy. It either needs to be a surefire, you know, home run. This guy, no doubt, we got to take him. Um, and and I think in the case of Chase Coda, uh, you that is a really easy sell to that room. Here's a kid that grew up in the state of Oregon. Here's a kid whose dad played at the University of Oregon and then went to the NFL. Here's a kid whose cousin just recently left Oregon. Some of those players currently on the roster will obviously still have a relationship with Brady Breeze. So I, I think in terms of, of you know, telling this to the younger group, like, hey, here, you know, we are going to bring this guy in. It, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense to bring in Chase Coda, who has a ton of ties to the program, who probably should have been an Oregon from the from the jumpstart versus bringing some guy in that, you know, played football at Auburn or, you know, you pick your random school that nobody has a relationship with or doesn't have any ties to Oregon. So I, I think a guy like Coda, um, you know, does he come in and 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 blow this thing wide open? Probably not. But he's he's got great hands. Uh, he has a knack for for finding the soft spots uh, in the defense and getting open. Uh, you know, he's a guy to me that when it's third and four and you absolutely need, you know, those four yards and you need to make sure that when you throw this ball, you know, the receiver or the tight end or whoever's going to catch it, I think Coda fits that profile really well. So I think there's a place on this team for him. Um, I, I think the Ducks are probably, you know, I don't want to say they're the team to beat. I know Washington State and a lot of other schools, ASU, a lot of other schools around the conference have uh, reached out with a ton of interest. I think Notre Dame's another one that's reached out with a ton of interest. Right. But I, I, I think you got to, I mean, you obviously have to give Oregon a, a pretty serious chance to, la- to land Chase Coda. And I think it, I think it does serve as a lot of value to this team as well. Yeah, the pride of South Medford High School, and of course you hit the nail on the head. His father was a part of a great era of duck football, Chad Coda, and um, Chase was recruited by UCLA, where he committed to, but also Notre Dame, so they're back in the hunt, uh, recruited by Oregon as well, but that was the Willie Taggart year, so he, uh, he had some other options and took them. I am really excited by the possibility that that young man can come home because just just getting to meet him over the past few years and 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 know about him and and he's a music major at UCLA and kind of sees the world in a different way. I, I I love the idea of him meshing in that locker room as as somebody that's different than a lot of other. kind of jock football players um i just love the idea of him being in that locker room being a great chemistry guy and then making an impact on the field like you said someone that's reliable on third down i think about someone that's reliable in the run game I, i saw him make some awesome blocks against lsu in that surprise win the bruins had in august and i think about the the things he has in his game that you can't coach Right, like we know he's fast, we know he can catch, we know he can cut, but he does all of it at six foot five. Like you can't coach that. Yeah, no, and and again, something I mentioned, uh, you know, a little bit ago that I'll circle back on. Uh, you know, I, I I love when there's you know a a player from in state and you bring him you bring him home. You know, so we both know that that Chad Coda will probably go watch all the Chase's game home games this season at Oregon. You know, you you might get Brady Breeze back, you know, in between if he's playing or whatever he's got going on to come and watch. You know, they'll have a ton of family in the stands, uh, you know, watching. And and I, I and that, to me, as a player, when you walk out of the field and you know that you've got 10 family members up in the stands, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's 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 that little extra motivation that you need that, that, that certainly helps. And so, you know, I think, again, I just think there's a ton of valuable, uh, a ton of value in bringing Chase Code into Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you, and you don't, he doesn't need to be the guy, right? No, he doesn't, it's no. not like you're, it's not like you're counting. Oh man, you know, we're counting on Chase Coda to be our number one receiver. And if he isn't, it's a major fail. You're not, you're counting on him to mesh in with that group, 
add a veteran presence to that group and and be probably one of your like like realistically be one of your top three or four receivers and you know he'll have a lot he'll he'll be he'll get plenty of snaps uh you know his snap count will be high but again it's not like you know if chase coda doesn't catch 10 balls and you know go for 150 yards we're going to lose the game that's not the case which is which is a good problem to have right right like if you if you were building this offense around a weapon i think the weapon is troy franklin and right. everyone else in the receiving core there's an opportunity for them but it's a specialized role they aren't going to be the guy that's demanding the bracket coverage they aren't going to be the guy that's the primary read on a play but when the defense covers a Troy Franklin, a Chase Coda has opportunities. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you just you're you're constantly trying to create mismatches for the defense, and I think that uh, you know this is another tool for Coach Dillingham to do that. Yeah, if they get him, uh, and then you know if if they get him, yeah, yeah. Um, is there uh, anything else football wise that you want to hit on before we we finally give some uh, much needed love and attention to the teams on the hardwood? Nope, I, I think it's time to give uh, give them their dues for sure. Okay, so between Mario leaving, then Dan Lanning coming in, and the national championship game, I don't think we've talked Oregon basketball for a month. A ton has changed. Wins over top five teams, a blowout, a, an embarrassing route over a rival. How do you feel about Dana Altman and his incredible Oregon men's basketball team. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I was talking to Jared, uh, you know, this morning, Jared Denny, who does a lot of the team writing coverage for us on Scoop Duck. And, uh, you know, everybody knows that football is, you know, is what butters everybody everybody's bread, not right. just mine, but right. the universities and not just at Oregon, all over. Football is king, right? Yeah. But, you know, uh, fans, I feel as though this fans are paying attention to Oregon football and then, you know, the bowl game's done. And so then they stay tuned in to, you know, the remaining bowl games and, and, and the, you know, the national championship game. And then those are done. And then, and just then do you actually finally start looking at basketball? I mean, let's be real. I know there's some diehard basketball fans in here, so I'm not, I'm not crapping on basketball. Okay. Right. I enjoy it, right. but Let's be real. It gets a very limited amount of your attention until college football is all the way done. And then let's be real even more so. Oregon was playing like crap. <laughs> you probably really weren't wanting to pay attention. Even in some of the wins, they were ugly wins. And just, you know, you and I'll admit it. I will admit it. For the first time, uh, honestly, for the first time in years, I had my doubts that Dana Altman was going to, was going to turn this thing around. I, you know, just watching this team, seeing the lack of chemistry, seeing a bunch of uh, kind of me first players on the court, not really gelling, uh, not playing what I would just call Dana Altman basketball. I didn't think they were going to get there this year. And then for, for, for whatever reason it clicked, you know, it, like it, it's, it's obviously clicked. Like it's not just, I'm not just saying that these last three games oh, yeah. for, for men's basketball have been incredible. I mean, the, the sweep of the Los Angeles schools that were, you know, number three and number five respectively at the time. And then you absolutely just demolished Washington. And it's not that you just, you know, that like you got lucky and they had injuries. No, you kicked the crap out of them because you played damn good basketball. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's cool and it's exciting and it's funny because, you know, talking to Jared this morning, it's like, we probably better start covering basketball a lot more because people are definitely, you know, paying a lot more attention now as they should. And, uh, I, I couldn't be more excited about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. And and you know me, I love going you know, beneath the curtain on a sports media job, so I, I'll use that to uh, tie in here. But I know for me on the radio side, I will get phone calls and text messages all year, any time of the year, about Marcus Mariota, right? Are the Raiders going to start him or, or where should he go? And how do you feel about, you know, th this part of his career? I will get phone calls and text messages about uh, Chip Kelly or Mario Cristobal or, or now this new staff with Dan Lanning all year, any time of the year. And it's just a testament to the 
the weight that football fandom has, right? Like there's a reason for this podcast. We always start with football and we always spend the majority of our time with football. There's a reason on your site, most of the comments are about football. Um, and there's a reason on, on Twitter, right? Oregon Duck Twitter, all the fans out there, they're talking about football too. It, it's king. It's, it's the most important sport, not just at Oregon, but I think in the minds of, of fans across the country, um, you know, the number one sport in America, pretty, pretty clearly. And so it, it's tough to, uh, to switch gears. Like I know some fans, like you say, that will, they'll tune into basketball in January. I know some fans that won't tune into basketball until March. And, right. and I think with this team, you're, you're realizing the error, the error of that approach, um, you need to watch what they're doing because they they pulled off something two weeks ago that has literally never ever been done in the entire history of the Pac-12. There had never been a a two game road stand against two top five opponents where the underdog traveling on the road beat both of those top five teams. John Wooden's UCLA teams. Never did that. Now, maybe it's because they never needed to. Um, I think about like Mike Montgomery when he was at Stanford and Cal. Never needed to do that. Never did that. I think about all the great coaches that have come through the Pac-12 over, over decades. That's never happened until now. And, and that's amazing on its own. Then you just watch the way they played against Washington the other night. And like you said, you see a team that has chemistry. They're playing unselfish basketball. Uh, you say it's, it's Dana Altman's basketball. I almost say it's, it's better than the Altman style because you have big men now contributing on both ends. And, and contributing not simply as a defensive stopper or a rebounder, like, say, how Kenny Wooten would have contributed a couple of years ago, but I'm seeing Oregon big men contribute on offense, and, and I see a, a much more balanced approach, one through five, you know, utilizing size and length and speed and shooting. I think this Oregon team can make a run in the Pac-12, and I think this Oregon team can make a run in March. Yeah, no, I mean, they're built that way. And, and and like you said, yeah, I mean, it's a different style of, of Dana Altman ball. I mean, you're right. But I mean, the, the selfless, you know, the just just the, some of those things that are a staple of all his teams, they're, they're shooting a little bit less from three, which I'm totally OK with because it was kind of a live by the three, die by the three, yep. <laughs> you know, sort of an offense there. And, and yeah, like you said, with with having multiple big men, they're able to play, uh, you know, dynamic. They're able to play versatile basketball um it's just fun to watch they're they're giving uh, a lot of effort on the defensive side of the ball which i think was one of their you know biggest achilles early on um i think the shot selection early on in the season was was terrible um you know a lot of guys were were forcing shots and it felt like they were just trying to get their points and it, it no longer feels like that it feels like they're comfortable giving up the ball uh recognizing when somebody's in a better spot to score uh, you know, for the team, and, and like you know, again, this this last couple of weeks has been historic for men's basketball. It certainly put them on the map, and I I, I think the uh, uh, you know the only thing that can honestly slow them down at the moment is how many games end up being canceled. Yeah, yeah, and we'll cross our fingers and and hope that that doesn't happen. Um, on the women's side of things. Kelly Graves' ladies get a big win over Arizona. They were in the national championship game last year, so that's a statement for the Ducks. How do you feel about them going forward? Yeah, hitting their stride. Uh, you know, obviously didn't per se have the the monumental week that the men did, but again, uh, they're getting healthy. You know, you're seeing the girls coming back out there. Uh, they're, they're starting to gel better and uh I feel like I'm going to the well again, but they're starting to play Kelly Gary's basketball, right? You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're running up and down the court. Uh, you know, they're getting their points. Um, I, well, I think one of the things that's often overlooked about a Kelly Graves team um, is they play really good defense. They play, uh, you know, really sound defense uh, most of the time, you know, and I think they're back to doing that. You know, you look at, at most of their opponents right now and they're, you know, in the 50s and 60s, and I understand women, you know, tend to score a little bit less as a whole 
you know, versus the men. Um, but, you know, like you said, you, you played a really good uh, Arizona team uh, that was number seven at the time and beat them in overtime. Uh, you played a UConn team that was ranked number nine and actually put a pretty good hurt on them. And, you know, once again, beating Washington, that's always fun to beat Washington, no matter how good or bad they are or where they're ranked. So, yeah, they seem to be uh, also hitting their stride and and clicking at the right time. And, you know, that uh, that's almost, well, I mean, it's it's tough to say this, but it it might be kind of refreshing to see that maybe a Kelly Graves-led team is starting to peak at the right time versus like just being hot all season long. You know what I mean? That's, that's how they've been in the past. And this year, you know, they, they weren't hot to start largely due to injury, but now they're, they're certainly starting to peak at the right time. I would, I would wager that this is one of the teams that, that most teams around the country isn't wanting to play right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not just Kelly Graves and it's not just that they're, they're, you know, avoiding the injury bug compared to the way they were just decimated by injuries last season. But I think it's the players. You don't want to go up against Nayara Sabali. She's going to play in the next level, WNBA, next year for sure. You definitely don't want to go up against Sedona Prince when she's playing and healthy and and at her best. Um, I'll borrow the same thing I said for the men. I think this team can, if they stay healthy, they can make a run in March. Oh, absolutely. Because you're right for especially, and I will say especially uh, for a women's team, uh, they're versatile. You know, they have size, they have girls that can run the floor and shoot. Um, You know, that's something that, you know, we've seen some of the elite teams in women's uh, college basketball have in the past. Um, You know, that really Oregon, you know, didn't have, they had some good interior players, but not, uh, you know, not, you know, not to the caliber that they do now. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I think we're at a good stopping point here. Is there anything else you want to hit on? Uh, you know, I don't think so. I, I'm glad we were able to talk, um, you know, about the men's and women's basketball because it, it definitely deserved its due. Um, you know, again, I, I know maybe there were some fans that, that follow it along, but by and large, the interest has definitely peaked in the last two weeks. So, um, it'll be fun to start covering them a little bit more and more moving forward. And we also have at least uh, one more really good week of recruiting. So excited for that as well. Okay. All right. He's Justin Hopkins. I'm Matt Bagley, and we'll be back next time, probably a week from now. Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi. As always, I want to thank everybody for listening and let you know um, – we're, we're on pretty much every podcast app you can find. <laughs> if you can't find the pod or you want it on a, a different thing, just let me know. Reach out on Twitter at Bagley Sports or at SD, and we'll do our best to accommodate you and, and help you with that. Thanks for listening. Go Ducks.